Hello, and welcome to Porch, Wine, and Gravy. I'm Jolie Moe. And I'm Lucius Fondo. And today, we are going to talk to Max Bakke from Bakke Farms. He's a young farmer who's uh, raising grass-fed beef on his family land. Yeah, just going, outside of Lafayette. Mm-hmm, going back to his, the old ways. He, it was a very interesting talk. He knows a ton about grass. I didn't even know there was that much to know about grass <laughs> and cows. It was, it was very interesting. It was, it was. Well, it's amazing. I'm like, all oh, these little minute things you don't know. The recipe we're going to talk about today is one of my favorite little twists on pot roast. It's an Italian-style pot roast uh, called brisotto e brolo, which I'm... Wow. I'm not saying that right. I'm not. I just call it Italian pot roast because I don't well, feel like insulting cool. Italians everywhere with my horrible <laughs> butchering of the name. Or you can call it, you know, pot roast braised in red wine. Hey. That's for all the non-Italian speakers out there. <laughs> and then there's the story of one of my favorite family members, and uh, we call it the Hippie Wins. And I guess when you hear the story, you'll know why the Hippie won. Today, we're going to talk to Max Bakke from Bakke Farms, a young farmer who's going back to the old roots of grass-fed beef. Back in the middle, see more where the uh, yeah. the cattle are, but that's the only spot where I have cattle now. The whole place used to be cattle. Right. Um, going back to my grand, grand great grandfather, and uh, you know, well over a thousand head of cattle out here, um, which is a number I can't even yeah, what are you at wrap now? my head around. I'm at 25 right You're at 25. now. So, and he was in a thousand. I think probably in the 80s and 90s, and maybe even some of the 70s, there were no cattle. I'd have to ask my dad about that. And then my dad started bringing more in, um, kind of as a hobby. And, and just because he grew up around it, and he wanted to have animals back on the property. And so um, he started getting a few, and um, a couple horses, you know, that kind of thing. But it was always... Um, it was a pet project would be a good way to put it because um his toys yeah <laughs> um, all his tractor toys we never we were never i never had you know beef from our land growing up um we didn't do that which looking back seems silly um what do you think they had more of a connection maybe with the cattle because it was was more pets as opposed to an industry well and that's for sure why my dad didn't want to eat them Oh, uh, and so he had it set up where they would, he would just sell off the, the, uh, the babies. Um, hey. I've got some right, this is the neighbor's cattle. Uh, I know, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he's a, because my grandfather had a cattle when I was a kid. Pretty much that's who I hung out with, you know? Yeah. And I, told, I was telling him last night. There was this tree, and I'd go and, like, read under it. Because, you know, your grandmother kicked you out of the house. Mama, as soon as the sun came up, get out. And I thought that all the cows loved me. <laughs> like I was the cow whisperer. Yeah, okay. And then as I got older, I realized I just sat in the shade. Yeah. <laughs> and... So how did your family start in cattle? Do you know, like, the history of it? It goes as far back to the original Bakke that we have traced um, for our lineage, which is Arnaud Bacque came here from um, southern France, not Acadian. Um, he had had a background in, in architecture and, and, um, and was, had designed some buildings, but 
um, in our family still exists the original cattle brand of Arno Bacche. Um, I don't know how many cattle he had, but I, I, you know, he must have had a, a decent amount to even warrant needing a brand, right? right? So um, basically the first Bacche that I'm related to had cattle. Um, this picture right here, that's Alvin Sellers. Um, this was his house. He was the caretaker out here. Um, he spent his whole life out here. Um, had worked for my great-grandfather, worked for my grandfather, worked for my dad, um, and was still out here when when I was um, coming out here, getting in trouble. Um, he passed away, I guess, about eight to ten years ago. Um, but that's a source of information that I didn't really um, utilize. That that uh, you know that every time I look at that picture, I think about. Um, you know, the amount of experience you can have from an entire lifetime and um, all the questions you could have answered. Yeah. I am taking the slowest way possible. Um, and the money is coming in very slowly, but it I think the product, number one, that, that I that I'm creating is not only um, delicious and tastes good, which is very important, but it, it's going to have all those um, important health aspects, I think, come along with an animal that's raised stress-free and is not pumped full of drugs. Um, but farmer's market right now, yes. maybe, right? Farmer's markets, um, I have a lot of loyal customers that I, I just deliver direct to their house. Um, I do offer free delivery. Um I'm always a loyal customer who calls too late. Yes. <laughs> I think every time I'm like, hey, you got He's like, mm, no. Yeah, got so I'm like, I really got to learn to do this ahead of time. I, it's that whole training yourself like, ooh, I want to make something with beef. Oh, it's like, like you're just going to have beef. Just Oh, here it is, Julie. It's <laughs> I, I just had it right here, right in my fridge, just waiting for you to call. Uh, I'd mentioned this on, on our tour, but basically a cow could not be more specifically designed for eating grass. That's just what they're designed to do. Like, that's almost like a grass machine and a weird or nature's grass machine. Yeah. Nature's um, lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. That and is. Yeah. So, but how do you think stress? Like the stress affects them? If you stress out that animal right before processing, you get what's called a dark cutter. Right. Where uh, visually, you can immediately see a difference in the color of the meat because of the, the hormones released by the stress in, in right. the process. All right. That makes it a tougher, less flavorful. You know, it, it, it is. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's very proven um, that stress at the end is a bad thing. Well, if it's bad at the very end is does that mean it's OK through the rest of the and and really my the formula I decided I wanted to use when I got out here was all right if I think if you can create their entire life to be stress-free and that gets into why I only process animals that are born out here because I, I want to be the control point of that entire life um, if I kept them stress-free from day one to to the final day would that be an even better product and um, you know, I, I can't say for certain what I'm doing 
is, you know, what's right about what I'm doing, but I know that I like what's happening. And in the meat itself, um, you know, going out there, I've been to some farms you can, and I'm, obviously I don't have huge numbers, but just the, the racket, like hearing cows bellowing all day, you know, it's like they're crying out for, thi- you know, when I can walk out and see that they're all happy, I mean, we were out there right about noon, so they're they're all finding their shade. Um, they're just, you know, they have all the. Um, uh, I've got great well water out. You know, they have everything they need, um, but not in. You know, I'm not overly controlling things where they're not able to be a cow. Right. And uh, I, I can't remember where I, I saw this recently, but something about like the. You know, the, there's nine aspects of animal husbandry, and one of them is just like letting animals, you know, give them the, the freedom to to reach their most cowness. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, just. Well, I mean, what's a cow is probably its happiest when it's a cow. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what it wants to be. That's it's kind of like all of us. We're all happiest when we're allowed to be exactly what we want to be. Yeah. I would say that it was um, in, how do you put it, it was an amicable divorce, I would say, in, in, in the way that, that I left the company, I mean, that we, they wanted me to leave too, because um, I was not getting along with where the company was headed. Um, and that gets into my idealism, and um, sometimes that, that gets me in, in trouble, but um you know the the work that I have out here is um, I feel so much more fulfilled uh, at the end of the day, which I, you know that that's come a kind of a cliche thing with um, kind of farmers saying that, and and sometimes I I worry that I'm just trying to convince myself of that so I don't lose it because of all the hard work that that is required. But um, you know I. I Talking about the values aside from money, um, there it does feel good to to know at the end of the day to know with all certainty that um, what did I do today? I put back into the environment. I helped, you know, some animals stay alive. That that um, and that makes me feel good and. Ideally, I sold some beef to someone so I can pay my bills, and that beef is going to feed a family. Um, in a, yeah, and you know, it's something I'm very proud of. You know, I, I, it's it's like I, I can I can live without any worries in in terms of what am I doing for society? What am, what am I doing with my life? Um, you know, I, I in. In the industry I was in, when when money was at its peak, um, and uh, you know, I, I, there was, you know, there's still feelings of emptiness and um, yeah, you know, lack of accomplishment. I guess. Cliche saying though, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in yeah. your life. And I, I mean, I think a lot of people are getting back to that. That we could put money back into our community, and there are people that do that. They they work and they put money back into their which we need them. Yeah. But then there's people who put quality back into their community yeah. and kind of put their community back into their community. So we have, what we ask each guest is, is a dish 
that I don't know is heartwarming for you is a memory dish for you that it connects you kind of with what you're doing or, or when you eat it makes you think of fond memories or and especially with you with the farm and the cattle and this is your family heritage is there a dish that you have that that really just kind of brings all that together for you yes and the funny thing is this dish started out not with buff de bake. Um in fact growing up we did not eat the cows that were raised here and um and I just kind of accepted that not really understanding that my dad was just doing cuz he he was too attached to them. Um <laughs> But there's a dish in our family that's, um, you know, very much around the Christmas holidays um, that I prepare for for um, for Christmas morning grits and griots. Um, you know, it's a brunch food that, that I think a lot of people in Acadiana are, are familiar with. I'm really not sure the the origins of the dish and maybe it, it, it called for veal. Um, originally way back in the day, maybe, or, or, um, but, um, I've used a couple different cuts, uh, um, when I really started taking over that, that responsibility, but, um, to be able to now use beef that I raised, it's taken it to a whole, you know, new level of not just, um, I mean, not only is it delicious grits and grits, I mean, cheesy grits and be, I mean, it's, it's a no brainer. It's, but it's, um, you know, have sharing that with family on a holiday with the beef that I raise. Um, it, it's, it's all, it's like, an, it's all encompassing. Of, right. of, it's like your, your, your family heritage kind of in a dish that you're feeding to your family. Yeah. Well, thank you, Max, for having us to the farm today, taking us on a tour, seeing the awesome houses, meeting the cows hearing about the beef and the history. It was really great. And I'm really, man, come take a tour of the farm. It's awesome over here. Thank you. No, this has been great. I, I um, As you can tell, I like to talk about this stuff. <laughs> um, and, yeah, anyone, I mean, I'm an open book. So um, the, the idea is to not keep this secret out here. Um, this is to, to share it with uh, the whole Acadiana community. Is it recording? Are it you, is recording. Oh, my God. I'll kill you. Okay, start now. Yes, please. <laughs> so hurting for Mardi Gras, and then you have to pull all this stuff. I wonder what happens when people eat rice. All right, I'm going to start. Is it the table? You know, you can say table because we're not, like, we're editing right now. All right, ready? Okay. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> So today was not a rant or an observation or one of my many, many obsessive talks that happen, especially when I've had too much wine, but it's a story and it's one of my favorite stories. And it's a story I heard when I was a kid, kind of like above my head. I overheard it. It was a thing of lore. Those were always fun. But I heard it so many times that it's like burned in my brain and it is, it involves one of my favorite people in the world. And even he is impressed that I remember this story from my childhood. 
Now, I have bits and pieces, so it's what I put together as a kid. But I, on the blog, named it Hippie Wins. Because really, really, the hippie did win in this situation. So it's in the 70s, 1970s. Nice. And there is a gentleman with a very large mass of curly, curly hair on the top of his head. Cut off jean shorts, VW van. And he's working at a bar. And all of a sudden they ran out of sausage. Wait. The bar ran out of sausage. The bar ran out of sausage, and I'm sure it was Red Beans Day, and we can't have here Red Beans with no sausage. People would just get upset and not eat it. Right. Have, I've never even had Red Beans without <coughs> sausage, so I don't know, unless it's Popeye's. No, no, it. I get the, the no Red Beans without sausage bit. So he has to make a sausage run, right? <laughs> and he has the van, so they elect him to make the sausage run. So it's he, like Smokey and the Bandit. Right. It's sausage. So this, and he, try, he grabs his dog. I don't know why to go with him. <laughs> and so it's, it's the hippie. The Black Lab, the VW van, on the sausage run. <laughs> and they're successful. They get their sausage. <laughs> you know, get back in the car. And, it, you know, back then, you know, it was hot. It's Louisiana. He's driving back, shirt off. Sure. You know, white man afro blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. Birkenstocks, VW van, trusty Black Lab in the back, and, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds of sausage. And as he gets over the bridge, the sirens and lights come on behind him. Because really, in the 70s, with a VW van, no shirt on, yeah, and, and that hair. He might as well just painted himself red. He so, might as well just put yeah. his hand out and said, we also, just, you're going to pull me over at the end, right? Because that's, <laughs> that's how we do this. They pull him out. A verbal argument, I guess, ensues. Because, just because he looks like a hippie, he's uh-huh. also a Cajun man. And they're not too keen on being late for work <laughs> and messing up with their sausage. Hey, man, I got sausage to live. I got sausage to get. So they pull him out. The dog is not behaving. You know, so after they yell at the dog, the young man yells at the police officers, which upsets them. So they handcuff him to a tree, tie the dog to another tree. Dog is still losing his, like, yeah, losing yeah. his stuff. And he is now me now even being more verbally angry because now you're yelling at his dog. So you've now inhibited his sausage, you're yelling at his dog, and he's late for work. It's all not going well. <laughs> this obviously incites the police officers, and they're looking at him, and he is the poster child for a hippie. So they're determined there's drugs in that van. And so as the dog's barking, he's yelling. The cops are ripping the van apart, looking at him, yelling at him like, you know we're going to find it, we're going to find it. And he's just sitting there, you know, whatever. And they go through, like, an hour of searching, and they don't find anything. They finally, in the very, like, little corner of the glove compartment, they find this tiny, tiny roach. I mean, like, barely the end. And so this police officer is so happy with himself. You know, he comes over, and he goes up to the guy, shirtless man with the giant white man afro, takes it, and shakes it in front of his face and says, You see? See, I told you, I knew we'd find, I knew we'd find something. And without a word, the hippie reaches forward, grabs the, the roach, swallows it, and says, go get it now. <laughs> Wait, how did he grab it? With his teeth. Oh, shit. Because he so had he it real over. close to his face. <laughs> and so he leaned over and kind of grabbed it and swallowed it. And he said the police officer was like, in shock. Yeah. Because yeah. what does he actually do now? He can't physically 
And are you, and then the question is, are you, you going to take them in and wait for it to come out the old-fashioned way? You're mm. not going to go looking for that. No. <laughs> so, I mean, you still got in trouble. Sure. But we have to admit, that's the day the hippie yeah, was. there's no evidence, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, because he wasn't... I mean, he wouldn't have been yelling. He was actually the poster child of hippie. I'm sure he right. would have been, yes. Yes, There was some anger involved. Sure. But, I mean, he's st- hippie or no hippie, still, he's still a Cajun <laughs> man, and they got some temper on him. So, did he... Did he I'm sure they did, which is why we're... I mean, you know what I mean? Somebody somewhere made sure there was sausage in the <laughs> I don't... The, and that's always the end of the story. Because, you know, you have to end a story on that point. So... It's, it's, it's the best way. Go get it now. Does this person know that you did? I actually got corrected a few things. Like, I forgot about the sausage run. Ah, yeah. yeah. And they're like, you realize I was, I was going to get sausage. And I'm like, this makes this 8,000 times better. <laughs> like, it was already a funny story, but uh-huh. the, the fact that you almost got arrested on a emergency sausage run <laughs> yes. and then got handcuffed to a tree is just, like, the best. Yeah. Like, only in Louisiana can <laughs> that be... And imagine answering the question. I think one of this is one of the few places where you can tell somebody I'm on an emergency sausage run, and they'd go, "Oh, oh, yeah, oh okay, yeah. I've been there." Yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> we have though. I'm surprised. You know, had he not been dressed as a hippie, he might have gotten a police escort. I think if he'd been in a truck with his hunting clothes on, uh-huh. they'd been like, "I got you. You gotta go." <laughs> we all know what happens when you think you have sausage and you don't. Well, that's like here if you don't have oil and flour. Where I go, what do I do now? I don't. I can't. There's no other no solution. So there you go. That is one of my favorite stories. The day the hippie won. Hippie wins. That's uh, our shower. So it's sausage and marijuana jokes. But I mean, really. <laughs> well, now I want sausage. That's also why we're not on public radio. But I'm dumb. So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite ways to make a chuck roast or, you know, anything pot roast-esque. It's a great cheap, for, we're feeding a family, you know, pot yeah. roast. It feeds a lot of people. It goes far. It's one of my favorite comforting foods. But sometimes you need to change it up. So I have something on the blog called brisotto al borolo, which I'm saying wrong. Oh, it sounds good, though. That's because you're not Italian. Right. I'm sure if you were Italian, it's, I'm butchering it. Kind of like the meat. Yeah. So, aha, joke It's beer. No, it's not beer. It's beef braised in red wine. Which is always delicious. It is, and it's very good. And it's it actually looks really fancy, tastes really good, very simple to make. It's a good, also, if you want to impress people, but you're really afraid of trying something crazy, you can do this, and I serve it over a creamy polenta, which also the package directions work great for polenta. So you can really kind of, people are going to be impressed and think you, and you can kind of, it's one of those you do a little prep work and let it be. It's kind of a set it and forget it kind of Right. Thing. Like any other pot roast, you know, you brown it first. It's got veggies that you cook down in the wonderful browning that you did to get all that, you know, fond. I can't remember the word for them. I would, I, it's a great word. But fond. Fond. How do you know it and I don't and I cook constantly? Um, <laughs> because I, I just call it that really... brown stuff, which I'm sure doesn't sound as good. But you really do. You brown the meat. You cook it down. You add some fresh thyme, some rosemary. You throw some tomato paste in there and you kind of cook it up. And then you pour in the red wine. You put the beef back in with some beef stock. And then you put it low and slow for a long time. Uh, does it matter what kind of wine? 
I, I mean, mean, red, of course. It's but. red. Don't go get one of those weird light reds. Those are never, I don't think, good to cook with. I don't even know why they exist, really, but I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who loves them. I, I say a full-bodied red on the blog. So like I a, always just say, just go get, like, a cab. Get what's cheapest, man. Like a, a nice yellowtail? <laughs> and I'm sure there's somebody that's going to be like, no, you have to use this, all this wine. And, and you probably do. I don't live on that budget. That's not my world. If the bottle is $2.50 and I'm not drinking it, I probably won't drink the two fifty wine. Maybe. But I will cook with it. We'll see. Yeah, well, if you know it, worse comes to worse. I have been known to put that stuff in the refrigerator. Because <laughs> if you just if you make it cold enough, uh-huh. and it can pass your lips fast enough. Uh-huh. You can make that an eight dollar bottle of wine, or make it sangria, or make it. Who's got time for that, Lucius? That's a lot of time. That's true. Or you can be like the Brazilians and just add coke to it and just go full force. Say what? Yeah, it's like a coke and red wine thing. It sounds gross. It tastes interesting. Don't judge until you do it. I'm not judging. I'm and besides, thinking. if you're on a $2.50 bottle of wine budget, you know what? I say do what you got to do. <laughs> anyway, I usually make the plan to, after this comes out, because it has to sit anyway, you serve it over the top. It is, I would say it's one of the more, most favorite pot roasts that I make. It's up there with the roasted garlic, but this one is one that definitely everybody raves about, and it's really impressive, and it really, it's actually very economical to make. It feeds a lot of people. Cool. What if uh, you're scared of polenta? Then uh, serve it with potatoes. Serve it with rice. Serve it with grits. Well, if you're scared of polenta, you're scared of grits. It's what if the you're same scared texture. of the name polenta? I mean, some people are weird. Nobody. What? Don't talk if you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. You're scared of the name polenta? Then you're probably in a mental hospital, Lucius. No, I you... could, on texture, I could get. So yeah, if you're if you don't like grits, you probably won't like polenta. But there's, I mean, this goes with anything, anything. Mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes. It would be awesome because it makes that really good gravy. I said I'm making it with mashed potatoes next time, I think. I just made it with polenta because it looks fancy. Ah. But I, I am a sucker for a good mashed potato. I don't, I don't, I, I will eat shrimp with mashed potatoes and that's kind of gross, but I don't care. And if you have to eat everything with rice? If you need it with rice? Yeah. Wow. What happens if you have to eat only potatoes? Anyway, it's a great... Stop talking. <laughs> You're going to turn it off just because they're like, who is this dude? I edit all this out. <laughs> Not all of it. You should keep your what if you only rice question. No, I've got the power of editing. Yeah, but it's funny. Wait, you don't want to be funny. Anyway, I think I did it right, right? Can we end it? I ended it already. Did you? Yeah, pretty much. I can do it again. All right, well, make the... Italian Oh, I can end it this way. If you like this recipe, you can go to porchwineandgravy.com. And I'm telling you, this is one to impress your friends with little money or effort on your part. And if you don't like this recipe, you'll find one that you do like on the website. There's a lot of recipes on the website. Tons. Very tons. I I cook a lot. Just a little. Tiny. (laughs) Yes, you You do. You know what I found the other day? My notebook full of recipes that I've cooked and haven't written down. Oh, Jesus. Well, that's it for today's show. We'd like to thank Max Bakke for coming and talking to us today and also taking a tour of his beautiful family farm. 
If you are interested, please, please go visit Bakke Farms. Max is wonderful. We'll answer all your questions and purchase his beautiful, beautiful beef. Yeah, usually uh, he's at the Farmer's Market at the uh, Beer Garden downtown Lafayette. He's Farmer's Market, Beer Garden. You can also call Bakke Farms and see what he has on hand. Yep. He's, he's, I mean, he is one of the most informative and so good about answering questions. Yeah, super friendly. Very much so. An amazing beard, too. <laughs> He's a good cook, too. He does those pop-ups at the beer garden. That is They're really good. If you need to look up the recipe, you can, you can go to com. You can go get yourself some Bakke beef and go make yourself the pot roast. Absolutely. That's all for today. It is? I think so. Okay. So I wish you some time on a porch, a little bit of wine, and lots of gravy. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>